Hebrews chapter 10, going to begin reading in verse number 14. The Bible says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Raise your hand if you're sanctified. <laughs> you ought to have that underlined. You ought to have that marked. If there's ever a time you need a blessing, you're down in the dumps, you need some help, some hope, you're hurt and need something to pick you up, you just need to open to that verse right there. And just read it and realize he's talking about me. That he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he hath said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Oh, I like verse 17. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is... No more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Anybody believe the day is approaching? Amen. Anybody excited that the day is approaching? Amen. Looking for a day, looking for a city. I want to bring a message this morning. Christianity is an experience, not an experiment. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you that we are perfected forever. I don't stand here this morning wondering about losing what you've given me. I don't, I don't stand here worried about my salvation. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. We have been justified as if we'd never done it, sanctified by your word, but Father, we still continue to be creatures uh, that live in the flesh, that battle the flesh, that battle the world, that battle Satan and all the temptations that come. And Father, we need your help. God, we need your strength. We need you to pour your blessing out. I ask you to take your word and teach it to us, God. I pray you'd pour your spirit out in this place, Father. We want to worship you. We want to be pleasing to you, but God, we come here to learn something about your word that we might be challenged by your Holy Spirit. God, I just want to say thank you for being so good. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. We ask you to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Can be seated. You know, a lot of, a lot of preachers, they, they do things on Sunday mornings. They, they do series. They will... They will let you know up front for five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, we're going to do a series of messages, and they'll do, they'll do like the miracles of Christ from the book of Matthew, or they'll do you know, the, the prayers of Christ from the book of John, and they let you know up front that they're going to do a series. And I'm certainly not condemning that. I think it's great. I, I like that. I really do. I just don't have that ability. I'm pretty sure, you know, it's kind of like with money. Some people, the reason we don't have a lot of money is because God knows we can't be trusted. We just get out of, all out of messed up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Pretty sure I'm the same way, and I know that from preaching Sunday morning and Sunday nights. I have to wait and study Sunday night after I get through Sunday morning. If God gave me five at one time, we wouldn't get out until 2.30, and I'd preach them all five, and I wouldn't have nothing for next week. 
So he doesn't give them to me up front, but I have seen many times how God has actually given us a series. Um, sometimes I'd do something in the Old Testament, God would take me back to a miracle similar to but different and another similar, and I'd see how God, I can look back and see how God put it together. And that, that's kind of where we've been for the past few weeks. I feel like God has, has taken us on a journey here that God has given us a series that started with the God of the Valley. I feel like it started when God reminded us that I am with you in the valley. I'm not just the God of the mountain. I'm not just the God of your sunny days. I'm not just the God of your blessings. I am the God that is with you in the deepest valley. I am the God that is with you in your strongest storm. I am the God that will be with you no matter how dark the night gets or how long the night lasts. Joy comes in the morning. And, and God started out, and I feel like in this series, by just letting us know that, that I'm always there with you. There's never a time that I leave you nor forsake you. No matter what's going on in your life, I'm there. But then the next week, God carried us to the incredible promises of God to remind us that he's made us some amazing promises in his word. There are some promises that we can cling to. There are some things in the word of God that we can hold on to, that, that he's with us. he's with us in the good times, too. Even when things, when we're on the mountain, there's always promises. When we're down in the valley, there's promises, no matter where we are in life, that God has made us some incredible promises. But then the next week, he followed that up with, um, I've made you some promises, and they're all true. Not one is weakened, not one is shortened, not one is canceled. There's nothing that I promise you that isn't true, but don't forget, children, you have some accountability. You have some responsibility. You don't get to just... And take Jesus' fire insurance, but not let him be Lord of your life. You don't get to just claim all the promises, but then say, I'm not going to live a life for God. If you want to claim the promises, there are some things that we have to do. There, there is some obedience that we have to have. But then last week, God reminded us that we're not to grow weary in well-doing. Living a Christian life in today's world has its challenges. You get beat down by the world, you get beat down by your job, you get beat down by your neighbors, but you can get beat down by the church in a hurry. You can get beat down by your family, beat down by the ones closest to us. God reminded us, don't ever grow weary in well-doing. It's always right to do well. It's always right to do the things of God first. There's never a time that we should grow weary in doing good, but then I feel like this week God has taken us yet on another leg to the journey uh, where we're to strive to be more like Christ. We are to grow closer to Christ daily, and we're never to turn back. Not only are we not to grow weary in well-doing, but we're not to grow weary in reading the book. We're not to grow weary in our study life. We're not to grow weary in our prayer life. We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on a daily basis and never take a step backwards. That's God's plan for our lives. Now, something that I understand about last week as well as this week, I'm, I look at messages a lot of times and I'm like, God, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You're preaching, don't fall back, but you're the ones here this morning. You're not the ones falling back, sliding back. You're here. You're, you're the ones there on live stream. A lot of you are on vacation. God bless you. Bless your hearts. I, I, hope you, I hope you have a great time. I really do. I hope you have a great vacation. Be careful coming home. Um, look forward to having you guys back. It's good to have you on live stream. Um, but the ones that are here on live stream, many for, for health reasons, medical reasons, a lot, of, a lot of different physical reasons that people can't be here, 
they're not the ones that are falling back. They're trying to get what they can get the best that they can. And, and probably everybody out on live stream will tell you the same thing we'll tell you in here. It ain't the same out there. It's getting what you can. And I'm thankful that it's better than nothing that when you're away and you can't come. But when you can come, you ought to come. So, so I feel like on the one hand, God is kind of like preaching to the choir, isn't it? But I also know enough about God to know that he don't ever give us anything we don't need. He don't ever give us anything that isn't right on time. So either there are some of us who aren't as close to God as we once were, or there's some of us who need, get, need to get some, some priorities right, or maybe it's a wake-up call to some to, to increase our prayer life or, or to grow more in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But nonetheless, may, maybe, it's, maybe it's a reminder to all of us that, that we don't just grow weary in well-doing, but don't grow weary or don't go weak in your relationship with the Father. But I do know this. If God gave us a message there's not one person in here that it does not have a purpose for. No matter where we are, God doesn't give things. And the Holy Spirit does what only he can do. He takes one message and he speaks to every heart in this place according to his will. So if he purposed a message, God purposed the message ahead of time before he ever started clipping my wings and showing me all my faults. And he already knew everybody that would be here. And he already had your message designed for this day because he knew you'd be here. And whatever it is, he has something in store for you. Anybody believe that? Say amen. So Christianity is a lifelong experience. It's not this little short-term experiment. God starts out with this amazing promise, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also witnessed us, for that after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I love that. God says that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are perfected forever. That is a positional sanctification. That is the birthright of every born-again child of the living God. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote in verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, for if he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved hath raised us up together and has made us sit together in heavenly places. That's important. That's not a misterminology right there. That's not written wrong. That means exactly what it says. He has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. It does not say that we will be seated in heavenly places. It does not say that in times to come we will eventually be seated. He has already made us sit together in heavenly places. We're already there in the mind of God. We're already there in the eyes of God. We are already seated in the throne room. God is not just omnipresent as in all places at all times. He is in all times at all times. God is not bound by anything. He's not bound by walls. He's not bound by distance. He's not bound by space. God is omnipresent. Just like his presence is in Faith Baptist Church at 552 Hammett Road in LaGrange, Georgia this morning, He's over at the other churches in LaGrange, Georgia. But he's all the way across the map over there. At, I want to say California, but maybe move north and go to Washington. I'm not sure about California. God's there. He just may not have a lot of company. 
I have no right to say that. I'm sorry. God, God is on the other side of the world. God is, God is working through missionaries in red communist China right now. God is in Russia right now. But God is over there at Mars even though they know nothing else there. We're spending billions of dollars to prove there wasn't nothing there. Why don't they just give me a million and ask me? I told them there wasn't nothing there. <sighs> Isn't it amazing what we spend so much money on to prove what we already know when we already have proof and they won't believe what they got? Amazing to me. I lost where I even was. Anybody know what I was preaching on? I got so frustrated. God's not bound by distance. God's not just in our solar system, just in our galaxy. God's in galaxies we don't even know about. I, I'm, I'm not small-minded. I'm not naive enough to believe that earth is the only place that God has anything going on. I'm not naive enough to believe that this solar system is the only one that exists. I'm not naive enough to believe that there was never nothing before God created this and there won't ever be anything after God created this. If God is creator, you think this is all he's ever done? I mean, look in the mirror. You think this is the best God's got to offer? So, so there's no telling what all God has out there, but whatever it is, God's there. God is not bound by space, but he's not bound by time. We may not can go back to yesterday, but God's still there. God, God's in the time a million years ago. God's in tomorrow, and God's in a million years from now. He's there now. He can see it. He's not bound by time. We're the ones that's creatures of time. God's not a creature of time. He's bound by nothing. You say, oh, how could God be in the future? Well, how did he carry John and show him from the Isle of Patmos? How did he show him the, the revelation if he couldn't already go there and see it? So, so God is not bound by anything. God already sees eternity. So in God's eyes, we are seated. Somebody ought to get excited. Seated in heavenly places. God already sees you there. He already has a seal on your forehead. He already has your name in the Lamb's book of life. And it ain't never coming out. He already sees you around the throne of God. He already sees you sitting beside the crystal river. He already sees you singing with angels. He already sees you walking hand in hand with Jesus. You're already there. God already sees you perfected. He sees you the same as Jesus Christ. All of your sins are what? Forgiven, forgotten, cast away as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. God says that's a promise that we have. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. He said, Where the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after he had said before, after he had said before, we, we looked at it a minute ago, that's the same thing as when he says, as it is written, or aforetime. That means it's already been said. So he's making a reference back to the Old Testament. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He's talking about an Old Testament promise that is already made. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. The Holy Spirit used the hand of Jeremiah to pen to the Jews that, that hey, you are my people I, I have a covenant that i will make and i will put my laws into your heart and in their minds i'll write them and sins and iniquity remember no more but then the same holy spirit that inspired jeremiah inspired the writer of the book of hebrews and said tell the church tell faith baptist church tell the church of 2021 tell all of my children i have extended that promise to them 
Jeremiah couldn't write about it. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the prophecies. They didn't see the church age. They saw the coming of Christ. That's why the Jews are still looking for the second coming. They're still looking for something. They didn't see the church. God moved over in his Holy Spirit, and he had the writer say, Hey, I'm passing this covenant to you. I will put my laws in their heart, and in their minds will I write them. That means that you and I should be ever-present worshiping God with everything that we do. We should be working to draw near to him if he is truly in our heart and truly in our mind. And there's never a time that we should walk back or turn back or fall back from the things of God. Truth is, there's not a one of us that can't look and see the effect that COVID has had on the church. I said, every one of us can see the effect that COVID has had on the church. Last year, when COVID first shows up and the government put out a plea and it was not an attack on the church, regardless of what people say, they closed stadiums, they closed businesses, they asked everybody to close until they could kind of get a hold on what was going on because they didn't understand it any more than we did. They might not tell you that, but it was true. But they asked people to close public gatherings to try to help slow that until they kind of get a hold and see what all this newness was. And churches, some were closed for months. Some have just recently opened. Some never reopened. Matter of fact, thousands never reopened. A lot of them continued church parking lot for a long Even here, here at Faith, we were closed for 12 weeks. But one of the problems when the church opened back, whether it was us in 12 weeks or others in five months or others in eight months, one of the things that was consistent across the board in every denomination and every church and every state church-wide was that we only saw about 20 to 30% of the congregations return to church. One of the things happened, we got lazy. One of the things happened, some people got a little bit scared, scared of being out. But, but the fact is, many, many people still today have not plugged back into the house of God. My goodness, y'all are here, you can say Amen. I uh, can't be throwing rocks out at you, right? I mean, I thank God I'm here today. Thank God I chose to plug in on live stream and didn't miss this one. It was a slow climb back to numbers, and people continued to, to kind of get back and get back and get back until numbers got a little bit bigger. Then the Delta variant shows up. And, and although I don't really know of any churches, I'm sure some probably closed services, but most all churches had to close some of the children's ministries and Wednesday night and some of the close points, but almost nobody changed Sunday morning. But now that the ministries are back up and running, once again, we see just a small percentage of people returning to the house of God. So for many people, the challenge is not just to grow weary in well-doing, but there's an attack on our time. There, there's, there's an attack on, on everything that we're doing. Can, can I just remind you this morning, there is nothing that the devil will not do to get you out of church. There is nothing that the devil will not do to separate you from coming to the house of God, gathering together as a family because he understands the strength that we gain when we gather together. He understands where two or more agree. He understands where we're gathered together. He understands 
corporate worship. He understands that we come together here for strength. I preached a message that we're like a bunch of DeWalt tools. We can work all week long, but if you don't come recharge your batteries, you ain't worth a dime the next week. Batteries run down and they're gone, and that's what the church is. This is a recharging station. This is a place to come get equipped. This is a place to come learn. This is a place to come be filled so that we might go out the next week and and be used. There is absolutely nothing that the devil will not do to attempt to get you out of church. There is absolutely nothing that the devil will not do to attempt to get you to stop reading this book on a daily basis. This is your light. This is your source. This is your strength. This is your help. This is your hope. This is your answers. This is your promise. This is your security. This is everything you need and then some. This is what you need when you get up in the morning before you start your day. This is what you need when trouble comes your way in the middle of your day. This is what you need at night before you lay down and go to bed. And the devil knows that. And if he can keep you from reading the Word of God, he can keep you from growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can keep you from being empowered of the Holy Spirit of God. And he can cause you to step back if he can keep you from reading this book. There's nothing that the devil will not do to interrupt your prayer life. The devil knows that it is a relationship that we have. This is an experience with the Father. This is a one-on-one relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity of God is with us and there is absolutely nothing that the devil will not do to keep you from praying because he understands prayer is your relationship building. And if he can stop you from corporate worship and he can stop you from learning the things of God and he can stop you from a relationship with God then he can get you away from the things of God all he wants to do is to destroy you there's a lot of times the devil gets us too busy we get so busy we get so busy just life if you got children I know you know what I mean Man, there's ball games to be at, dance recitals, school functions. There's stuff to be everywhere. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Be glad you're here. The truth is a lot of times we get so busy raising our children, making sure we keep them involved in all the worldly stuff, we miss church. And you can't miss church when they're small and expect them to come to church when they get old. You can't show them in your actions that all of that stuff is more important than being here and then expect them to want to be here when they get old. The devil keeps us busy with so much stuff, it's the wrong stuff. I'll give you another one the devil does. The devil can keep you so busy in your work, in your job. Mm Mm-mm. Man, you wouldn't believe the way God's blessing my business. Man, we cover it up. Man, I mean, I can't get a minute off. Man, I'm so glad that that God gave me this job that I got. Man, I'm making more money. I've got this. I'm doing this. And, man, it's amazing. God is just just blessing my family. let, let, Let me ask a question. If it's taking you away from the things of God, if your job's got you so busy, whether you're a business owner that God's blessing your business, whether you work for somebody and God's just abundantly blessing, if your job has you so busy that you're not reading this book, you're not effectively praying, and you're missing church, do you honestly believe that God gave you that? Or do you think he just allowed you to have that so you might see what you're doing? I can tell you this. God will never give you anything that will draw you away from him. 
God will never give you anything that will cause you to fall away from Him. He may allow you to have some things so that you have to decide what matters to you most, God or money. Position or perfection. Which do you desire so that we have to make choices? God may allow it, but it's up to you and I to choose God over the world. Church over work. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ over growing in popularity in the world. Lord help us. Chapter 10, we go on here in our text, verse 22 and 23, still in Hebrews. Let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. The only way we can draw near with a pure heart is through prayer. The only way we can draw near with a pure heart is through studying the Word of God. It's the Word of God that keeps away an evil conscience. It's the Word of God that, that grows us and strengthens. It is the Word of God that is pure water, living water, flowing through us, filling us, something that never comes out. It is that living water that, that cleanses us. It is prayer. It is worship that draws us near to the things of God. Let us hold fast to those things without wavering. Let us hold on to the things of God without failure. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 9 says, Beloved, we're persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word slothful there, let me pause. The word slothful means lazy. God does not use lazy people. God uses people who are diligent in their study. God uses people who are diligent in their prayer. God uses people who are diligent in, in their relationship with him. Those are the things that draw us near. Followers who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith is just believing that God's going to do something even though you've never seen it. Faith is believing that God has done something even though you never see it. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were made of things which do appear, were not made of things which do appear. When Thomas was in the room of the disciples after Jesus had come in, they tried to tell Thomas that Jesus was alive, right? They tried to tell him he's resurrected from, on the third day. He's out of the grave just like he said he would be. And what Thomas say? mm-mm. Mm-mm, ain't happening. Nah. I don't know if you saw a ghost. I don't know what you saw. But until I see him, I ain't believing a word of it. Until I put my finger in the nail print, until I put my hand in the side, mm-mm, mm-mm. I ain't believing none of that. So Thomas is with him the next time and Jesus comes walking in the room. And who's he talk to? Thomas. Thomas, come here a minute, buddy. Feel me. See if I'm real. You want to put your finger? Put your finger there. Here, here. Thrust your hand right here. You might make sure it's me. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, 
Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. We didn't see God create the heavens and the earth. We didn't see God form all that there is. But the word of God says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth without form, void, darkness upon the face of the deep. So because I have it written, I, 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 don't, I don't think I know I'm right. I know I'm right. Because I'm on the same side of God and I know God's right. And I know God can't be wrong and I know God can't lie. So I believe in the fullness of faith that I have it. I, I, I know for a fact I didn't see Jesus crucified. I didn't see Jesus come out on the third day. I didn't see Jesus ascend into the heavens. I didn't see the two men in white apparel say, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? But I know it's real because God took time to put it down and give it to me. And it is faith in the word of God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We were in chapter 6 of Hebrews. It goes on in verse 13. It says, when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse number 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out in a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out. Not knowing whither he went, by faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Romans chapter 4, verse 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed the promise of God. Abraham believed that he would have children that were as of the sands of the seashore innumerable. Abraham believed God that as the stars of heaven, he would have children that were innumerable. Abraham believed that when he was an old man and had no children. Abraham believed that there was a promised land. Abraham believed that God had something in store, that he would be a father of many nations, that there would be a kingdom, even when he was walking in lands that he knew nothing about, sleeping in a tent with no place to live. That is faith that has grown into a mature faith. That is faith that simply believes God because God said it. That's good enough for me. Abraham and Lot. They parted ways. Their cattle got too much. Their herdsmen got to fighting. They said, we got to part ways. Abraham let him make his choice. You make your choice. Whichever side you want, you can have it. I'll go the other way. Abraham chose to stay with the things of God. Lot chose to dabble. Oh, somebody pay attention. Lot chose to lean towards Sodom. Lot chose to lean back towards worldliness. Lot chose to lean back towards the drawing of the things of the world. And before you know it, he was dead in the middle of it. Abraham chose to stay with God. Lot chose to lean towards the world, and he ended up in Sodom. He ended up being right back in the middle of it. Now, here's the problem in today's world. We have that word called backsliding backsliding does not mean you had to fall back into the sins from which God delivered you from backsliding does not mean that you had to go back into the same old lifestyle that you came from 
Backsliding simply means you have slid back from where you were. Backsliding means there was a time in our life that we were closer to God than we are right now. Lot didn't really just set out and say, okay, Abraham, you go that way. I'm going back to Sodom. He just began to dabble. And the dabble began to draw. Don't think you can play with fire and not get burned. Don't think you can play with sin and not get pulled in. Don't think you can play around in the things of the world and the world and the devil and everything around you, not do everything to draw you back into it. God says we're supposed to stay with him. If there has ever been a time in our lives that where, where we need to be closer to God, it's now. But if there's ever been a time in any of our lives where we were closer to God than we are right now, then we are at this moment backslid from where we have been. Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near, draw near, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. It's right there in our text. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And to become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. What the text is telling us is that as Christians, we're just like children. We should be growing every day. How many of you know that there was a time when every single one of us were a baby. Some of you don't know that. Did, what, did y'all flunk out of science, biology? Or are y'all asleep? Raise your hand in this place. You know we at one time were a baby. And if you wasn't, I want to see some birth certificates. There, there was a time when all we could digest was milk. For some of us, that was a long time ago. The cradle's a long way back for some of us. But it's still there. It's still there. I know you, young people like, yeah, right. No, I promise. We were babies. I know. So we, we've grown from, from, what we are, from what we once were. So now it's, it's steak and baked potatoes. A hearty amen in the house. We're getting close to getting done, so I start talking about food now. I'm not going to mention any certain one so I don't boost up their business today. I find out when I mention a place, y'all can't get through their drive throughs It's about butter beans and peas, mashed potatoes. We, we've grown past a bottle of milk. I mean, I'm all about a good glass of milk, especially if you got some Oreos or some chocolate chips. Y'all hold the door shut. Don't let them out till I'm done. I'm stirring up. I'm stirring up right here. People are going to be leaving. I'm all about a, a glass of milk with something. I don't even mind the glass of milk, but I mean, I got to have something else during the day. Uh, two, two or three bottles of milk, three or four bottles of milk, and one in the middle of the night, that's not going to sustain me through the day because we're no longer babies. But the same thing is true in our Christian life. There was a time that we were spiritual babies and we couldn't understand some of the oracles of God, the promises of God, the things of God. There was a time that, that we were babies, but if we indeed 
read the Word of God, and go to church and, and spend time in prayer, then we will grow. When we were babies, we didn't grow because we were born. Anybody know that part? Raise your hand. Biology students? If you don't feed a baby, they will what? Die. It takes giving nutrition. It takes putting something profitable in. It takes putting in something that will bring nourishment to the body so that the body will grow. The same thing is true when you got washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, when you became a born-again child of the King. You got to put something in. You may have needed some meat then, but you ought to be on some steak now. The Bible says you've been saved long enough. You ought to be some teachers by now. Doesn't mean you got to teach Sunday school. Doesn't mean you got to teach Bible studies doesn't mean you got to be a preacher what it means is when somebody in your workplace questions why you go to church you ought to be able to answer it when somebody questions your salvation you ought to be able to answer it when somebody wants to know how do you know you're washed in the blood you ought to be able to answer it when somebody wants to know hey man what happened to you you ought to be able to tell them this is what happened i was lost but now i'm found got up one morning on my way to hell heard about jesus christ the son of the living god that died on calvary's cross shed his blood for remission of sins. I asked him to save my soul. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. My name got written in the Lamb's book of life. I ain't the same as I was because I got a new home. I don't wake up every morning dreading going to hell. I get up every morning excited about going to heaven. I don't worry about what might happen because I know what's going to happen. I got the book. You ought to be able to defend some things. When you got saved, you got saved. But if you stayed a baby, if you didn't put something in, then you're still a baby the bible says we ought to be growing we ought to be putting some stuff in we ought to be strengthening the things of god god gives us everything that we need here but it takes a steady diet of god's word nutrition to grow daily otherwise we just stay babies here's one thing that's going to happen with a baby you're either going to feed him and he's going to grow well, you're not going to feed him and he's going to die. What makes you think born again is any different? What makes us think that when we're born again in the family of God, we're born of the Spirit, not of the flesh. We've been born of the Spirit. What makes us think for one minute that if we don't feed it, it won't die? Do you still have the promise of salvation? You can't take that away. But you have no rewards. Think of your friends and loved ones around you that you could have taken to heaven with you that may die and go to hell because you chose not to serve God. We have everything that we need in the Word of God. He gives us all the, the guidance, all the nutrition. God doesn't just give this book to us like a list of commandments. Does it have some commandments in it? Sure. It has some things to live by, but, but everything that God gives us, God also gives us reasons. God doesn't just put something. He gives us a logic for why He's telling us to do what He's telling us to do. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in you in, in these last times for you, who by him do believe God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth, and abideth forever. You know, nobody in their right mind puts a seed in a flower pot and expects it to grow a flower if they do nothing with it. 
If you go out and sweep all the dirt up from around the house and the porch and all that, and you put dirt in, that's called dirt. It has no living content. You have to go out and get soil. Soil has living nutrients in it. There's a difference between dirt and soil. Anybody know that? Dirt's what you track in. It was soil before we tracked it in, and it became dirt, right? You put a seed in a pot. You got to water it. The water of life. You got to put some fertilizer. You got to put some nutrients. You put things in it so, so that it might make a flower. But if we don't put anything in, then why would we expect it to produce anything? So as Christians, we have the nutrition of God's Word, but it's up to us to put it in. But when we add God's Word on the inside, it changes what's on the outside. That's why the Bible says, by their fruit shall you know them. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. You're not condemning anybody when you say their lifestyle says they're going to hell. Their lifestyle says they're going to hell. That's fruit. It's it's lifestyle. So the the fruit is judged by what's on the inside. All of the false religions of the world today, you don't have to take my word for it. There's a book. It's called The Kingdom of the Cults. Get it. Look at all the cults. Well, don't study them all. They'll drive you crazy. All of the cults try to work from the outside in. They try to get you to serve. They try to get you to come, do this, do this part, do that. Because they believe if they can shape you into being good on the outside, then you'll become good on the inside. That's contrary to what the Word of God says. The Word of God says it's the heart of man that's desperately wicked and thinks of evil continually. It's the heart of man that must be changed. So God's Word starts with the heart of the problem. God teaches us to do things on on the inside. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees we do in the Easter play. They got their robes and they got their garb on, their holy things that they think make them something special. They're a bag of chips and all that, and then some they even got the dip, right? They got everything they need, that, that, and Jesus looks and says, Oh, yeah, you men do appear holy and righteous on the outside. But inside, you're full of dead man's bone. You're dressed up nice. You look real good. You got all these people fooled. You look like you're holy. You look like you got it going on. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy. You're full of iniquity. Jesus taught that that it's what's on the inside that matters. It's what's going on in here. When the internal is right, then the external will follow. So we have to work on is putting good things on the inside. We, we can't act good to make the heart good. But if we study God's Word and make the heart good, then the actions will become good. So faith works from the inside out. But faith is just like anything else. It has to be cultivated to grow. The human heart has to be cultivated to grow. Knowledge of the Scripture has to be cultivated to grow. Obedience to the Word has to be cultivated to grow oh we we can blame it on COVID all we want to we 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 can blame it on our situation we can blame it on all that happened we can blame it on church closings we can blame it anywhere we want but here's what I know the Bible never closed Uh uh-oh oh you done gone to meddling now the doors to the throne room of God Never closed. Access to the Holy of Holies was never denied. Permission to read the book was never removed. 
So the fallback ain't COVID's fault. The fallback, God gave you a chance to grow on your own and quit being spoon-fed out of a bottle and actually grow some on our own. But we chose to sit around and become lazy, and now a lot of people just turned me off. A lot of people decided, let's just stay home and drink coffee and eat some cheesecake and, and watch it online, and if I don't like it, I can turn it off for anybody that still had. Why does that light go off every time I say that? I think Larry's turning me off. As Christians, we have to add the nutrition of the Word of God. See, see, the fact is, the things of God never closed. What, what closed was the heart. What, what, what closed was on the inside, and if you leave the inside closed long enough, it's going to start showing up on the outside. You're going to find yourself like Lot, getting a little bit closer to Sodom, and a little bit closer. You're going to find yourself doing things that you ain't done in a long time, thinking things that you ain't thought in a long time, maybe even going places you haven't been in a long time. You're on a slippery slope, and I assure you the world will continue to add oil to it to get you to slide right on in. It's to come back to the things of God. Too many people, and it's not just faith. This is across the entire church. Too many Christians have slid back and have chosen not to return to church. For what's visible on the outside is simply produced by what's on the inside. See, today, people want the gift of God. They just don't want the God of the gift. Kind of like the ten lepers. Everybody knows the ten lepers, right? They came to Jesus. All had leprosy. They all wanted to be cleansed. They all came to Jesus. Jesus said, go and show thyself to the priest. The Bible says that all ten of them went. All ten had leprosy. All ten desired to be cleansed. All ten went on their way to show themselves to the priest. How many were cleansed? All ten. Nine of them were satisfied with the gift of the giver. Only one of them came back to have a relationship with the giver of the gift. That, that's kind of a lot of, of where the church is today. The Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is true. It doesn't need our help. It doesn't need to be perfected. It doesn't need to be advanced on. The, the prophecy of the Word of God, the, the coming of Christ, everything in it is absolute truth from in the beginning to amen. There's not one thing. There's not one doubt. There's not one fault. There's not one failure. Everything in the Word of God is true, and it does not depend on us to establish that. I said it does not depend on us to establish that. Whether or not you believe it changes nothing. Whether or not it's settled in your heart changes nothing. The truth is the truth. When, when the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God, He took apologetics out of the hands of men. It doesn't matter how many apologetics classes you have or have not taken. The Word of God is absolute, perfect, pure, holy, right, and true without a doubt. The problem is not, the problem is not whether or not the Bible is true problem is how true is the Bible in us? See, just, just because it's true doesn't, doesn't mean that it's true in us. But because if it's true in us, then we won't turn away from the things of God. If the Word of God is true in us, we won't turn away from daily reading. If it's true in us, we won't turn away from coming to church. If it's true in us, we won't turn away from having a, a, a daily prayer life. We won't forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. 
We won't put our hands to the plow having turned back if it really is true because Christianity is a lifelong experience, not just some short-term experiment. For many of us, we've been saved a long time. Our text that we looked at there said that that we ought to be teachers. We, We ought to be teaching someone. You know, we, we want to be, I, I believe it's all my heart. I, I believe all Christians want to be a better servant. We want to be a better Christian. I, I believe, I believe, every, raise your hand if you just want to be better. I, I mean, that's, that's every one of us. That's why we study this book. It's a desire to be better. We want to be better. Those of you that are on vacation, God bless you. I hope you're having an amazing time. That light turned off again. Why does he keep doing that? <laughs> Look, comes back on when I stop. I think he's messing with me. So the truth is, you guys got to where you are because you went there. You, you drove there. I would say how many of you want to be at the beach, but I know my wife would raise her hand. I wouldn't mind being there with her, just to tell you the truth. You know, I can want to be at the beach all I want to be. But until I get in the car and start heading that way, I ain't getting no closer. I, I, I can want something. I can want to be somewhere, but... Until I actually start trying to to get there. Now, once I start driving there, it's going to take me a little time to get there. If I drive part of the way and stop, all I did was got in South Georgia with all them God-forsaken gnats. And I ain't accomplished nothing. So going part of the way accomplishes nothing. I have to go... All the way. I I have to to leave and I have to go to try to get there if I want to accomplish. It takes time to get to somewhere. Anybody still with me? I know it's 12 o'clock, 11.57. That's okay. Let everybody else eat. We'll just preach 30 more minutes and we'll go after the lines die down. How about that? Time is nothing. Anybody know that? Time is just time. Time does nothing good. Time does nothing bad. It's what you do with time that matters. So you can want to be at the beach, and if you spend four hours of time, you can be at the beach. If you spend two hours of time, you can be halfway to the beach. If you spend five minutes, you're at the Troop County line. If you want to get there, it takes time. It's what we put into it it is what we get out of it. I'm just saying the same thing is true with our life. You're either getting closer to God or you're getting further from God. There is no stalemate. Time's going to pass, and one or two things is going to happen. You're going to grow towards God, or you're going to fall away from God. There is no just standing still. The devil wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your home. Most of all, he wants to destroy your testimony. The the devil is out to tear you down. For anybody that might still be out there, I know y'all are. Some of them might still be on. And I'm sorry, I've used this example before, but I don't know a better way to put it. The, the devil knows that if he can just dabble in your time a little bit, if he can get you walking one step in the wrong direction, that's the first step of many steps. If he can get you one step, if he can get you to backslide one step, one step is the beginning. Not one person, and, and I have no statistics on this, but I'm pretty sure I can claim this with full confidence that not one person has ever got up on the morning, yawn, stretch, snap, crackle, pop, went in there getting ready and looked in the mirror and said, I think I'm going to go have an affair today. 
Think I'm going to go destroy my family. Think I'm going to go wreck my marriage, wreck my home, destroy my testimony day to day. No, the devil won't try to get you to do that. He's smarter than that. But what he will do is let you, when you get to work and you win, and I know y'all got all your avions and bottled water now, so the water fountain ain't the best example, but I'm going to stay with it. So you go to the water fountain, and somebody of the opposite sex is there that maybe is physically attractive, and there's a relatively friendly hello at the water fountain. Never really seen them before. It's just water fountain, right? Week and a half, two weeks later, you go to the water fountain, and who shows up at the water fountain? And it's the same one. But this time it goes with a little casual joke. Well, I see we're on the same time of watering. And, and it becomes a conversation. So you work here? I thought maybe you would just. And then over the next two or three weeks, nobody else knows it, but you do. You probably went to the water fountain two or three times a day when you really wasn't thirsty. You just hoped you might run into them again. And, and several weeks go by, and now all of a sudden, you know where each other work. You know where, where the offices are. Maybe you got phone numbers and conversation began. And a few months down the road, you meet at the water fountain. Say, hey, man, I'm just going to grab a bite of lunch. You want to go? And it's a lunch. But two or three years later, your marriage is in shambles. And your family's caught in the middle of it. And your testimony is destroyed. That's how the devil works. He ain't trying to get you to just drop up and quit church. Nobody says, I'm just going to quit going to church today. It's Sunday, I'm tired of going. No, no, it's that one Sunday that you miss. I don't mean you're sick. I don't mean you're on vacation. I mean one Sunday, I got up, you get ready, it's time to go to church, and you made a willful choice, I'm not going to church today, day one at the water fountain. That's where it starts. That's how easy it is. That, that's where all the slide back starts. And if you continue to stay away from the things of God, the devil will pull you back out. The devil began to pull us away and, and, and draw us back out. I know it's 12. But it's important enough. COVID provided day one for a lot of people. I said COVID provided day one for a lot of people. And even here at Faith, we were closed for 12 weeks last year. Do you know the scientists say if you want to develop a habit, do something three weeks in a row? And you can develop a habit. You want to develop good Bible habits, good study habits? For one month, read every day and develop a habit. So for several weeks, COVID provided day one and day two. And a lot of people got on a slippery slope, and now they're not back in church. You know, COVID still continues. I mean, we just had to think a little bit back, and we had to shut down again. Just because you're here today, that makes you a prime target for the devil. See, the fact that you're here makes your bullseye bigger. He's not worried about some of them out there. He's got them sliding fast enough, but he's after you. He'll do everything he can to try to tear you down and keep coming. This is where we grow. We ought to be teachers by now. We've got too many people sitting at home still waiting on somebody to fix their bottle. Well, band, come on if you guys want to sing a song. I'll let them sing while we pray because I don't ever want to close anything without an opportunity for us to pray. I don't ever want to close anything without an opportunity for somebody to be saved. 
I'm going to ask you if you would, just stand up where you are. You're welcome to come to the altar. If you want to put a mask on to come to the altar. If you want to spread out, if you need to pray. Pray for your family. Pray for yourself, for your marriage. Pray for a hedge of protection around you and everything you have. Because the devil is your adversary, a roaring lion, looking about, seeking whom he may devour. You're it. You're the prey. Pray for your family. Pray, pray that, that God would keep a hedge of protection around you, around your children, around your marriage, your home, everything that's there, that, that the enemy can't get in and tear things down. Don't ever, don't ever, if, if you forget to pray for anything else, don't ever cease to pray for your family. The devil will take it away before you ever knew, before you ever saw it coming. One day at the water fountain, step one, it'll sneak up on you quicker than you realize but not one person can't look back and trace the steps of the days of the water fountain and see where the failure began and trace it right back to where it brought them. God, help us. God, help us to be stronger. God, help us not to fall back. Help us not to fade away. The world keeps coming. Trials and troubles and tribulation keeps coming. COVID and all the things that's going on keeps coming. The world keeps trying to pull it back. That stuff's not going to go away. God, help us to be strong in the difficult times. God, help us to be a, a light in a dark place. Help us, God, to let people see the hope and the salvation of Christ through our lives. People that are in trouble and need help and need hope. Let them see it in our lives, God. Make us a usable vessel. Help us to be stronger. I'm going to ask you if everybody bow your heads. I know most of you are already praying anyway, but I want to know if there's anybody who never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day that it's up to you to confess your sins for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. It's up to you to say, Father, I'm a sinner. It's up to you to say, Father, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul in Jesus' name. It's up to you. No one can do that for you. And it's not a poem that you just get to say and then go on with life. It's up to you to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Surrender your heart to the Father in the name of the Son, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's up to you. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul in the precious holy name of Jesus Christ. You surrender your heart to him and he'll be faithful. Go ahead and sing, guys. You're welcome to come pray. Altars open as long as you need to pray.